So in this episode, Ryan and I have a continued discussion of blended PUA riders, and it really continues from episode 46. And then we go on to discuss Nelson's work and how it stands alone and needs no defense. Thank you for listening. We had fun and hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Bank with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Here, lovely 20 miles south of Fort Worth, <clears throat> in Alvarado, Texas. Lovely weather, downtown Alvarado. Pushing back the frontiers of ignorance or expanding the frontiers of knowledge. So as usual, I show up with no topic. <laughs> But we print off a comment that won't be released because it's an agent commenting. Yeah. So he's an agent with the big four, and God bless you for doing your work. Yeah. Um, but my encouragement is if you're going to comment, you know, it's like, okay, you should know your subject to, if you're going to speak authoritatively. Will you hand me that napkin? Yes. Thank you. I'm spilling everywhere on the table as so we get started here. Yeah, so I, I walk in today, and <laughs> there's a piece of paper on the desk. And I know I think you do this on purpose. I like do, he plant, sometimes. He plants comments that people will try to leave on the YouTube. I He'll plant print them face out. up on the <laughs> podcasting table. <laughs> He'll print them out and, like, put them in tactful places throughout the office so that once I get here, I'll, like, see it. And I'm like, what? Well, <laughs> see if he comes Just in. Try to well, trigger it, me. <laughs> it depends on what he's listened to on the way down. He has about an hour drive down, right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, most of the time, he's already triggered by the time he gets here. If he's not, then I <laughs> put some good commentary or potential material for good commentary face yeah. up on the... I don't hide them all over the office. And this is really... But I, mean, I will now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> this is... I mean, it really falls in line with what we've been going through in another context over the last two weeks. A um, uh, month and a half. Yeah, yeah. There's just been, I don't know what it is. I don't know, maybe it's its getting nice out. Spring is in full force. Here comes summer and people are out and ready. You know, the quarantine's over. <laughs> people can go to work and Very go to restaurants and uh, apparently uh, pick arguments about, you know, what Nelson said in his book. The number of, I think there's been more attempts that, I, that have just come to my attention in the last six weeks or so to try to prove Nelson wrong than I've seen maybe in the past year. So I don't know, maybe the... I, I don't the nice I, You weather. know, to me, um, I was looking just the other day, and uh, and I've said this many times to, to my clients, that, like, you know, my hat's off to you because, you know, you've read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, his second book. I mean, you, you, the people currently now that have never had the opportunity to, to listen to Nelson live or meet him... Um, you've read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, maybe a second, the Building a Warehouse of Wealth. If you haven't, you should. You know, I'm partial to the Banking with Life DVD, but that's not Nelson's work, right? And then Nelson's um, six and a half hour uh, seminar on DVD that you can purchase in the link in this, the show notes here, go to NNI, the Nelson Nash Institute. And they have a six and a half hour recording of Nelson live giving a presentation. Yeah. So... Um, and especially if you're a practitioner, you should own them, right? Yeah. And have watched them. And you should probably own a life insurance policy, too. That's another side note that you can bring up if you'd like. Um, but for the last 16, 17 years, 
it, it gets old defending Nelson's work. Me, personally, believe it needs no defense. Nelson's work stands on its own, stands very tall. He tells you what he did, and then he shows you what he did. Then he illustrates what you did. And then, if you'll read, he makes you think about what he did, why he did it, and what you can do. Yeah. No. So there's my background. Uh, some people have a tendency to want to complicate things, and uh, I, I get nervous because your your point's very well taken, and so many other, be they agents or financial entertainers or uh, activist clients, calculator uh, experts, yeah, want to go and provide the next new defense and explain or re-explain or try to say what Nelson said in different words. And the a lot of that can lead to distractions uh, and it, potentially like full-on cul-de-sacs. Like you just confuse yourself and just have nowhere to go and be totally lost. Um, so it really doesn't need additional defense. And so it's can be difficult for me when there are the folks who don't take a charitable attitude when trying to understand what Nelson wrote. You know, the idea of reading something charitably, trying to understand, like making a good faith effort to understand what the author is attempting to say. Um, there's a great book called How to Read a Book. And Mortimer. Yep. Mortimer Adler. Adler yeah, yeah. Uh, wrote, uh, passed now, but Can you even get that? Is that in print anywhere? I think so. I, I have a copy. It, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a big thrust of his message for young people trying to learn to read is to try to understand what the author said. And it's that sounds so simple, but it's just so surprising to me how many people don't take a charitable attitude when reading Nelson. They try to take an antagonistic attitude in order to prove that he's wrong or to demonstrate a big popular one recently for some reason has been trying to argue that part four equipment financing uh, has no policy loans in it. Yeah. That, that the logging equipment was purchased through uh, partial uh, surrenders or withdrawals. And that's like not the case. Not only is it not the case, Nelson explains it in text in multiple places and All has a- Through the whole section. There's a column on the illustration that says annual loan amount. He, he, like, what else would that be? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, things like that. So, my suggestion to somebody who's watching, who's considering the infinite banking concept is read the book charitably. Like, try to understand what Nelson's doing. It may not be obvious at first. Everybody and their mother in law has complained about how Nelson wrote or what his, you know, style of writing was. Okay, all of that, set all that aside. Attempt to read the book to, to, to identify what Nelson was trying to communicate. Uh, and if you do that, you'll, you, you, you just might come away understanding the infinite banking concept. Or you can be obstinate and prove your position, right, whatever that may be, or whatever uh, ideology you're following, you know, beans and rice or life insurance is the worst place to put money or life insurance is the worst investment ever or all of the noise, which that is noise, in my opinion, and um, factually it is noise, because the opponents, most of them, do not know what they're talking about when they speak or try to speak authoritatively on dividend-paying whole life insurance, yeah. right? 
I've said it. I got it straight from Nelson. Most people's understanding of life insurance is based on somebody else's misconception. And all you got to do is talk to some of these proponents of their ideology, their, you know, whatever it is, their, uh, their, their, their calculator teachers and real estate groups. I have clients that do this and. 10 years, you know, you're going over the math and over the math, and it's like over. It's like talking to a CPA for 10 or 15 years and or an attorney, and, you know, they won't read the book, right? Um, and But then they want to speak authoritatively on it, what you can and what you can't do. It's like, oh, how old is that? My, what I've learned, what I've come to discover and embrace is – um, and I think I've said it before, my friend Gina Wells up in the New England States. Love Gina. Shout out to Gina. Yeah, she in, in one of these online infinite banking footprint groups, you know, she quoted a mentor or a friend of hers who said, you know, you drag them in, you have to drag them around. I'm like, oh, my oh, gosh, I love yeah. that. And so looking back over the years, um, you, you know, if, if you can choose to be obstinate, difficult, and prove your point. Or, or your ideology, whatever that is, perfect. Have fun. Go knock yourself out. I'm like so over the debate of can this be done? Is it the best thing? And I'm just like over it because what I have learned and come to embrace for every person that you spend time with on an individual basis to help them, you know, understand what his going on here and what you can do you're taking time away from other people who want to get it who wants to understand right and the difference is remarkable not that um working through those situations isn't beneficial for you too Mm -hmm. right so but i'll leave that to the younger the more mathematically inclined I mean, is, I, I remember reminded of, of what people, the, the formulas like go geek out on it, have fun. I'm reminded of what Nelson said, though. This is third grade math. It is. <laughs> Add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Well, the problem, too, just speaks to I don't care if you're an agent, uh, an advisor, a real estate investor, real estate calculator, you know, a financial coach, or whatever it is. If you don't understand the mechanics of a life insurance policy, please don't don't try to help me understand. <laughs> I'm just saying, and, and it like, and not every company is the same. They're all very, very, very similar. I mean, the the actuarial there's many components of a life insurance company that are dang near identical to the others. But policy uh, mechanics, and then how a policy is built on an individual basis mm-hmm. is like no you know that we've they're not there, all the same there has been a question a lot this is not the one i have in front of me here but uh oh, wait you wait you not to interrupt <laughs> this will get him stoked up <laughs> but, anyway, we will get to it but the, uh, another one that i see frequently uh is whether we'll uh review somebody else's policy to offer an opinion as to whether it's done correctly or not. Yes. Um, and I understand the desire, you know, wanting someone to check your work and all that, but yeah, yeah. there's not, in, in many cases, there's not grounds to do it, right? There's the question of a, whether or not a policy is correct or a structure is correct or the level is correct or the company or the writers, whether or not the full thing is correct for an individual person depends upon that individual circumstances and 
So, you know, if I don't know you from Adam and you're just, you know, someone coming, it's like, no, I, I, I can't tell you just off the cuff what is correct and what's not correct. And it, it, it it's all on a case by case basis. Um, that reminds me. And I me. don't, yeah. Well, go ahead. I was going to say that there's, you know, I'm paid by a life insurance company. You know, it, it, I'm a commissioned life insurance agent and I'm okay with that. <laughs> but I, we don't do a lot of the, consulting or the you know policy review stuff it just it's difficult because if someone doesn't know it's an indicate if someone doesn't know why they own what they own and they're not comfortable with it and they're asking somebody else to go and review it it's an indication that something probably isn't right right I, at, at the very least maybe you don't fully understand what you have and that so that could be a problem if you and if you don't understand what you have you could go to the eight. There's a servicing agent on that contract. Mm -hmm. You could go to that agent and ask for a review. You could ask for you know an explanation of what you're doing, of what your premium payment levels, authorities, rights, obligations. <laughs> How many times does uh, a client walk into another agent's office and uh, have something that's printed by Ryan Graves <laughs> or referencing a video by James Nethery? And I'm only saying that because you know we get uh, feedback and. Like you know what, if the shoe fits, wear it. Yeah, and it's not the goal to like rock anybody's boat. I mean, I'm just. Well, look, that reminds me. I didn't print it out, uh, and it was over the last. I think over the last week, I, I received an email, and it basically said, "Hey, you know, I'm a newbie. I'm 30 days into the discovery of the infinite banking concept. I already have an illustration. I already have my uh, paramed exam completed, and I'm waiting on the policy." And so, but uh, he said something along the lines, is it not okay for a newbie to engage multiple agents or something mm. along those lines? And, uh, and my response was, I think I responded, did I, did I show I that? I think I you? was copied in it, yeah. You know, I just said, look, you can, you can contact as many agents as you wish. Um, 30 days is pretty quick to make a decision. I'm not saying that a decision can't be made. Snap, You know, the end caps at every grocery store you walk into, all the stuff on the end caps is put there so you can make a quick decision, you know, an impulsive decision. So I'm not saying that you can't make a good decision in 30 days. I'm not saying that. However, <laughs> if you just discovered the infinite banking concept, you know, there's there's some education that you should go through. and uh, But at the end of the day, just like you said, there's a servicing agent attached to that policy. Isn't it their job to educate their clients? So um, it, I'm just saying that, you know, <laughs> we educate our clients. And then and then there's over 100 hours of video on this channel at no cost. So I don't know anybody else is doing as much educating, quote unquote, at no cost to anybody and everybody who's willing to learn whether you wholly agree or disagree so contact as many people as you want but don't expect an agent to educate another agent's client right to do their job for them to do the, the other exactly. agent's job for them yeah. that's what he's getting paid to do right to do it correctly and to educate keep them between the ditches and and give your agent if you have one you already if you're this all fits it you know in your scenario if you already have an agent give them the opportunity no to question. do their job yeah. right Listen, that reminds me of a lovely new client, relatively new client in California. You know, I mean, it's like I don't. They're they're doing it, okay. Ten years into it, previous agents and they've retired and they did well. Mm. Um, 
we had a couple of different companies and and uh, the last conversation one of the conversations i had with him he was like well james because he had some policies right and so becoming a client we're going to review everything mm-hmm. we're reviewing everything right and and if it's good you keep it and why if it's not good you don't keep it and why um and and we didn't replace a single thing. I'm not a proponent of replacing dividend-paying whole life insurance policies. Now, if your company just demutualized and, you know, <laughs> there's uh, caveats to that, but I'm just saying fundamentally and in general, yeah. right? But if it's three months old and, you know, it's a terrible construct, it's okay. Any In this particular case, yeah, he was surprised when I said, you need to keep these. But you should get this type and this type of enforced illustration for your own benefit, right? Yeah. So he did. (laughs) And he said, well, James, uh, I talked to my agent. And he said, since you talked to James Nethery, just don't call me again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, why would you do that? You know? Uh, Which is okay, because James Nethery can handle any other company ever. I'm just saying, (laughs) why are you going to do that to your clients? Yeah. You know? Anyway, I I digress a little. It's okay to, like you said, Mr. Griggs, to give your agent, your advisor, an opportunity to help you educate each other, right? Right. Because the agents and the advisors learn as well. So. Yeah, and and disagreement certainly happens, and we can kind of turn to this comment here. You know, I think a lot of times um, <laughs> this is a very gentlemanly. He was nice disagreement. Yeah, uh, I'm, not, I'm not mad at the people. I don't really care, but um, I think anytime a member of the public or even an agent, um, if they hear about a new feature or maybe some, a feature of the contract or of a rider on a policy that they didn't know about or they hadn't fully considered before, that unknown unexplored territory uh, can make people uncomfortable or it can cause them to you know reevaluate what they're thinking and uh, I'm talking in this case in particular of the idea of convertible term right that you might have a term rider on a policy uh, and the that temporary death benefit associated with that term rider may be convertible uh, and this is nothing magic. Uh, it's not. Um, it's nothing new. Uh, it, can you convert a term writer from certain companies on certain contracts? Yes, um, but I think people for they notice that there's not a term writers in the book, or we don't talk a lot about specific term writers in the podcast, and we haven't talked a lot about convertibility in the past, and. It's like if we'd somehow, if we didn't mention it, well, maybe we don't know about it. And well, if, you know, if, if this person would just bring it to our attention, that maybe we'd learn. Right, right, right. Well, here's the background of this. Um, let me read it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this was a comment that uh, may or may not be released. It may be, we may release this uh, with the release of this episode so it can be tagged, you know, in the comment, mm. comment section. Okay. So this is a comment on the blended PUA episode. Do you know what number that was? Episode number 46. So episode number 46. Here's a comment that goes to that episode. Gentlemen, I disagree partially with your view of blended policies. In the view of someone starting out in poverty, 
early high cash values are important to start using this IBC ASAP. It's an opportunity to accelerate their first policy. Also, level convertible term can start being converted, fixed term premium, whenever extra money is found. This will get them going strong and fully banking sooner. By converting term whenever possible, their policy efficiencies can potentially uh, can be potentially upgraded as well. This reduces MEC, modified endowment contract risk, and quote unquote, a good company will help you avoid this anyway, and transition into banking the way Nelson intended faster. I enjoy your podcast videos very much. Thank you for helping spread the word. No, thank you for your comment, Peter. I appreciate the kind words, and I'm glad you're getting value out of it. I know the big one of the big four companies you work for doesn't like the infinite banking concept. Nelson Nash was in their home office, in the boardroom, and of course, your this particular company, you know, looks at IBC, infinite banking concept, as a gimmick, as a sales tool, and they are who they are, and they already know everything there is to know about life insurance. So, um, And I know they have zero education is my point when it comes to the infinite banking concept. All right, so I appreciate you coming here and increasing your understanding. Yeah. I mean, let me say this, you know, Term I'm being nice. That's no, that's good. That's great. And he had he said he enjoys the podcast videos very much. That's that's good. Um, you know, we here we are today, May twenty twenty one. You know, there's I have applications in underwriting right now, uh, and the, those those proposed policies, <laughs> those proposed policies have term riders on them. You know, so their level term riders are something that I use regularly, often, not always, but. Um, that that it's it's a part of what we do with IBC in 2021, well, uh, and some of those riders, some of that term death benefit from some companies, uh, it, they are convertible, right? So you can convert temper. What that means is you take what was temporary death benefit and convert it into permanent death benefit death without benefit the evidence last. of insurability. So if your health right. has changed, the conversion is guaranteed. And every company is a little different. Some companies have non-convertible term that use can be used as riders or standalone. Um, and then the duration, the conversion duration is different. So you should know these. And it kind of speaks back to the uh, the second opinion type attitude. And there's nothing wrong with second opinions, but if you, the policy older owner, the insured policy owner, if you're not comfortable with what you own, because for whatever reason, um, but it's typically because you don't understand it, um, you don't understand how it may make sense to you with where you're at and what you're doing. Uh, you're just not sure if what you suspect to be true is in fact true. So that's all an opportunity for you to increase your understanding of your company, your policy, and why you have it structured the way you have it with an idea of how you're going to use it. Whenever your understanding goes up, when your comfort level goes up, your confidence goes up. And you won't be in the situation where you want uh, someone else to review your work to see if it's right, no. you know. So, um, I'm just saying that 
going back to the term riders, if you have a 10-year term rider, with every company, it doesn't mean that that's convertible every for the whole time period of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And half the agents, I don't, I know, broad, broad brush, <laughs> but it's a large canvas. <laughs> it's okay for you to know what you own, what you can do, what you can't do, what your obligations are, and what your contractual obligations and your contractual rights are, yeah. right? So, so in, in this, and I agree with all of that. And in, in, I see two points here in this comment. The first one is the first couple sentences, and then the second one gets into the convertible term. So he starts with partially disagreeing with our view of blended policies, and I don't know what he means by a blended policy, but what we meant, or what I meant by a blended policy in episode 46 was one where you have a blended term PUA rider. So this is one rider added to a policy where the premium paid towards it is split up between premium for term and premium for PUA in that given year. And then the, and the underlying insurance vehicle in that rider is annually renewing term. So each year, the, a, a bit less temporary death benefit, ostensibly, would be purchased, and a bit more of the premium outlay in that year would go towards the PUA. And eventually, that it gets phased out. Um, so that that's meaning that eventually the term component will be phased out of, of that rider. Uh, that's a blended term PUA. And... The point that I made, this is some episodes ago, but is that I don't like them because of that annually renewing term element, right? We don't know, the company doesn't know, ain't nobody know what the new mortality cost, consequently the new premium cost associated with the term with, with, the, with the temporary death benefit will be in the future. And so there's an, there's a sense in which risk for future changes in mortality cost is shifted back to the individual. And if a blended term PUA rider is used for structural purposes, meaning to allow for a high PUA premium and preservation of the non-MEC status, if we reintroduce risk into that, well, then we're toying with an essential structural element of the contract. And to me, it's not necessary. Now, there can be what? Go ahead. No, I don't want to interrupt you. All right. There, I, there, I there can be. So he, in my mind, there are, and I'm almost positive I said this on this past episode, I can imagine certain certain circumstances in which a blended term PUA writer would be used. He says here, though, in the view of someone starting out in poverty, early high cash values are important to start using this IBC as soon as possible, which to me seems to imply that he's saying that if you're poor, then you might do a policy with a blended term PUA rider on it because it would give you high early cash value. And that's a good thing because you want to start using the IBC as soon as possible. Okay, well, you don't need a blended PUA term rider to get high early cash value soon. You certainly don't need it to go get a policy loan soon, so long as you have some cash value, so long as you've paid PUA, right? So just because you don't make a lot of income certainly does not mean that you have to have a blended term PUA rider. Uh, and you, the availability of a policy loan, like the liquidity in the contract is a function of when you pay your PUA premium. If I pay a PUA premium up front and I have a company that understands what we're doing with the IBC and allows policy loans in the first year, then I can go get a loan, you know, not long after my first PUA premium payment, right? Okay, so I would say, I think a better way to put this is if someone has a large amount 
of cash on hand that is, you know, it came from a windfall of some sort uh, or, or some other source that's unlikely to repeat, uh, and they don't have a lot of regular incoming cash flow, right? These, these are, this is a very slim slice of the population, right? And you could, my point is you could conceive of a scenario in which you want, you would want to move a lot of money quick and not have a need to pay premium beyond that later, right? So we can kind of like hodgepodge piecemeal a scenario together where that blended term PUA rider might be necessary and it would be in a situation where you've got a big windfall you want to move a lot of money quickly there's no other need to pay premium we're not thinking especially long range uh, you know all of these things start to stack up and you say okay well maybe that's a scenario where you could use one but it, to my mind that's okay we, we've got this certain cash flow situation and we have an urgent need for capital right i got i can't phase this in over time i gotta put it in now because i have to i gotta turn around and get a policy loan right away right we're, we're like notice that we're departing from nelson's rules right we're from the beginning from the beginning we're afraid to capitalize we're not thinking long range uh likelihood of stealing the peas goes up because if i'm going to pay uh, a high exponentially premium, yeah if i'm going to pay a high premium to turn around and get a big old policy loan doesn't sound like a very dynamic process. I mean, is that loan going to be repaid back? Is there a plan for that? Who knows? So, yeah. Okay. That's all my right. I, And I agree one. with most all of that. The young man, and I, I don't know how old he is. I mean, so, <laughs> the young gentleman disagrees partially with our view of blended policy. So, as you said earlier in that particular episode, which I have not listened to, we didn't get into detail on our views. We took a 10, 15, 20,000 foot view of blended PUA riders, mm -hmm. okay, which is what you're speaking toward. And then let me say that there are several variations of a blended PUA. Mm -hmm. So we're just trying to have a high death benefit so we can avoid the MAC and have a high PUA premium, all right? And so there's, how do you do that? Well, the most common way that you see on the internet, all these uh, <laughs> up here, up and to the left, right? Uh, that are stalking you, that are uh, posers in my opinion. <laughs> <clears throat> the only way they can do that is using a blended PUA rider. So you have a decreasing term with an increasing cost, annual renewable term. The cost of the term goes up every year that you're alive. Um, and the idea that we need less and less death benefit, right? So there's an equal or level premium because the death benefit's increasing. Death benefit's decreasing. The death benefit's decreasing. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Um, premium's increasing. So Premium's awesome. increasing. Because the death benefit is going down, then essentially the, the premium should remain level, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. How is that one-year annual renewable term being paid for? Oh, by the dividend that's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And these companies, not all of them, half of them, don't pay the dividend that they're illustrating. So you have an increasing cost of the term Right, and you have a decreasing dividend, it is going to cause you, the contract owner, to pay a higher premium in the future during this short time period because it, the term will go down and will go away and it will force you to reduce your premium. 
So when you see these blended PUAs with long illustrated premiums for 10 or 15 years, and I know that'll scare you if you don't understand what's going on in a life insurance policy, you know, looking at 20 years of premium into the future, right, the unknown future of 20 years can be off-putting. So it's very easy to say, here, you know, here, just pay a high premium for seven years and then the premium goes away. And no, the premium doesn't go away. Contractually, the premium is being paid. You're just not writing a checkboard. So it's coming from the internal values, the PUA cash values of the policy. And my point here is there are several structures and you have to use a blended PUA to juice up the illustration to get to an easy yes for the consumer. At the end of the day, the future is unknown, and it's not going to serve you well over your whole lifetime. That's why Mr. Griggs doesn't like a blended PUA. That doesn't mean there's never a case for a blended PUA. This, just like this comment, you can put together in any scenario you wish to support your position, which is what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and then starting out in poverty, uh, I don't know. I was pretty dang poor when I started out. You same, know, <laughs> same. <laughs> uh, you got to make it happen. Look, and if you created, you know, a bunch of Uber debt that you have to immediately put all this in high cash value, it's so important for you to start uh, banking as soon as possible. Listen, banking is, you've been banking before we ever met. You're going to be banking for the rest of your life. So this idea that, and even in the, in the, uh, in the infinite banking footprint, right, there's an kind of a, there's a lot of undertone or continuing arguments or disagreements or viewpoints of differing positions. But this idea that you have to have 100% of your cash value collateralized or you're not banking is hogwash. Mm. And it's based on, well, we got to get this in motion as soon as possible. Well, Why? How, I mean, how long have you been broke? How, what do you, <laughs> you know, poor people have poor ways. That's what my daddy used to say. I'm not saying poverty is maybe, there's lots of different scenarios out there, but uh, nobody's ever drowned from sweat. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, you can change the poverty. You can change your position, your financial position is what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is changeable. But the idea, because I'm so broke, I have to contort a policy. I have to compromise the structure of a policy to get started is short-term thinking. And the underlying fundamental flaw with these this whole idea of starting policies based on a percentage ratio of premium to base and PUA is hogwash. It's a continuation of the noise. And it is absolutely violating all of Nelson's fundamental basic rules. And if you'll remember these, I'm telling you, you can swap left on about 90% of the financial gurus who can spell life insurance. Mm -hmm. I, I'm like, I got nothing but love for the industry. I got nothing but love for the profession. It's a noble idea. But, you know, if you can do better, you should. All right, that's encouraging. Yeah. Number one, Think long range. <clears throat> this is short-term thinking. 100% cash value, 90% cash value, 95% cash value, 80, 85% cash value in year one is short-term thinking. Number two, don't be afraid to capitalize. If you have to get out everything that you put in, quote unquote, or collateralize everything as soon as possible, you're afraid to pay a premium. You're afraid to capitalize. Well, if you're poor, you're probably afraid of money. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying I'm not... 
I'm just telling you, it's don't be afraid to capitalize. All right. Number three is be an honest banker. Don't steal the peas. Well, a continuation of being an honest banker is repaying lows, repaying loans. And I'll guarantee you these people that think short term have to collateralize everything from the get go. And I'm not saying there's not a legitimate situation yeah. where that's needed. Um, I had a. I, you're not going to repay the loans. Right. I had a couple of conversations. I think it's been a couple of weeks since we've sat here and done this, but so I've had a. Several. No, since you've been here, I've been here showing up yeah, every yeah, Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now he's been gallivanting around, you know, the East Coast, West Coast is one word for it. Yeah, yeah. White Sands, Clearwater, sure, you know, sure. pretty girls, sure. And, uh, okay. I've had several conversations with clients, and we're talking about premium, and you know, this is towards the end of the process. We've really laid a lot of solid foundation and. We're talking about specific premium numbers and they'll uh we'll start talking through you know how to transition out of conventional debt if they have any or how to go get the rental property that they're thinking of getting or whatever whatever the particular situation was and uh point being was the individual was thinking of paying a premium so that he could build cash value and take a policy loan and without i didn't have to raise the question he's like but what i'm thinking of is you know about that loan like you know, when am I going to get that repaid? And yeah, and then some people will say like, "Well, I've been doing some research on YouTube, which is which is code for I'm watching channels other than Banking with Life, and I'm not gonna <laughs> and I'm not gonna say what the channel name is because uh, I don't want you to judge me. That's the oh. I mean that's what it is, and it's it's okay, it's fine. I'm not I'm not judging anybody, but uh, so I've been doing some research and. You know, I see this thing about, you know, paying your taxes from, you know, with policy loans or, you know, your premium equaling your income and using policy loans to pay for all your expenses. And, you know, I, Ryan, I just can't, I can't really see how that works. Like, you know, I, I pay the premium, I, I get the cash value, I take a loan, I, but then the next year comes around, I got to pay the premium again. What? And I got to take another loan. And, what? And then they're confused and they feel bad because they're confused. And I'm like, you're not confused that you're, yes, that does not make sense, right? If you, if there, if part of the, Financing strategy is just to systematically collateralize more and more of your cash value. What are we doing here? It's like printing you know? money. Be like the Federal Reserve, right? Print money out of thin air. No, they can print money out of thin air. Just because you have a beautifully designed policy and you can, like, uh, I don't know, have the best hedge against inflation on the cash flow ever does not mean you're printing money out of thin mm -hmm. air. Well, right? I, the, I really like what you told me once that, and, and Nelson had mentioned it, but I. It hit, home, I got it. it hit home from you is that when we hit when individuals when people hit their golden years late in life you want all your cash value uncollateralized yes want the powder dry okay so that's where we're going we want to get to that point so that we enter that phase of life fully equipped ready for whatever may come good or bad uh and the, and we got a continue to conduct the banking operation, continue to manage the banking function from now until then, all right? So what's that look like? You know, if there is outstanding conventional debt, what's the, given how much premium you think you may pay, given what you know about cash value generation, given what you know about policy loans, you know, what's the timeline on eliminating that other mm -hmm. conventional debt? Well, you see, I know you've seen them. Uh, I've, I think we've sat in the same room and seen presentations <laughs> where, <laughs> Oh, let me see. I have $100,000, just a round number. It could be 10000 But, you know, all the gurus love the big numbers, right? Yeah. Here's a million-dollar premium. It's like, oh, and, you know, 
Okay. You see an illustration. Here's a hundred thousand dollar premium. I'm gonna pay a, a first year premium, hundred thousand dollars, and have you know as much to the cash value as possible, and then immediately collateralize it to buy a second policy from a loan from the first policy. All right, and then I'm going to continue to do that. We've talked about it, laddering. There's all kinds of terminology. It's shaky at best, right? It illustrates very well because the interest rate environment, the lowest in recorded history, right? Of course, nothing goes wrong. Nothing's going wrong. There's no problem until there's a problem. It illustrates forever. So we're just really then taking a $100,000 cash flow that's required every year, right? And then you've got an outstanding loan that's going to be compounding against you the interest. I get it. There is an interest in dividends being accrued. The cash value is accumulating in the policy plus a non-guaranteed dividend. Lowest interest rate environment ever. You tell me what way the dividend is going to go in the future, okay, if, that, if the interest rates don't change. And we all know they're going to change. So, And then when they do, and you have $10 million in outstanding loans, right, um, and then it comes up with a required premium, you know, uh, if you don't pay the interest and you're not paying the premium, the short term thinking or when that doesn't work out the way you thought it would, then you've got to start coughing up some interest or raise your premium or quit taking the loan to fund that third, fourth and fifth policy. And, uh, and we've seen a lot. You know, I mean, I've seen this blow up. I've seen it where it goes back to the life insurance company and you have all these other agents out of their benevolence um, trying to help these people mm -hmm. out of the situation that they're in. And you talk about being poor, being short-sighted, being afraid to look at a long line of premium payments. Well, just have a loan compounding against you out of control. There is no magic here and there are no deals in the life insurance industry. I mean, this is not rocket science, mm -hmm. right? So this smoke and mirrors where I can, you know, have $100,000 in taxes the first year, property taxes, for an example, you know, it's like they're going to come around every year. Oh, and wait a minute, the market's going up like crazy because interest rates are so low. And now every taxing entity around is like, keeps increasing the values. I mean, there's, I've seen some property values go up 600% this year. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. Oh, wait, in, in our particular state, it has to be within the property values, the taxable, the appraised values have to be within 5% of the market. Like a government mm -hmm. knows anything about a market? I was just, oh, it's so funny you gosh. mentioned that. I was talking to my friend uh, who's an appraiser, yeah. uh, her and her dad are, and uh, come to find out Fannie Mae it gave them a negative mark, which they don't tell the appraisers, they tell the lenders. Of course. That, and the lender just happened to have a good relationship with them and told them, hey, Fannie Mae's got you guys on a negative mark. What's the reason? They weren't adding automatically a 5% appreciation year over year. Yeah. Because they're they're in a rural market. Who and, is Fannie Mae? A quasi-governmental yeah. agency? <laughs> yeah. Government-supported enterprise. I wonder how much black money they've sent throughout the world. Mm. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait. Let me... Uh, you want any comment? You want to comment on that up to date comments here, sir? Yeah, no, you're good. Okay, so uh, I want to say here also level convertible term can start being converted fixed term premium. You know, the, the, it's a level premium for a time period seven year term, ten year term, fifteen, twenty, thirty, whatever it is. Well, if you're using a term rider structurally on a banking quote unquote banking policy, you're doing it to raise the death benefit. 
right, to avoid the MEC. That becomes structural. The seven-pay test, the MEC test, is a seven-pay test, so you're not converting squat for the first seven years <laughs> without mecking the policy, right? Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah. And then whenever extra money is found, listen, <laughs> please expand on this extra money. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, so I'm not saying whenever your discipline produces additional free cash flow, I just can't wrap my mind around extra. Yeah. Okay, and it doesn't just happen, you know, extra. Right. No, it's your your action, right, your discipline, your decisions that create this additional cash flow so i mean i'm and i'm really don't want to beat it up but the thinking is flawed here yeah. as well. I, I now get this so the, his line where it says this reduces mech risk i bet you it's because of a situation where you had to convert the term down the road because there was so little base that, to begin with that you had to keep the death benefit on there to preserve the non-mech status i bet you that's what he's talking about there well otherwise, i, I think that like, what you're you're what you're saying is absolutely true. Look, whenever that term rider falls off in the future and you squeeze that base down to nothing, the differential between the death benefit, the total death benefit mm -hmm. with the base, the PUA, because the PUA buys death benefit. Huh. Okay. And the rider, however it happens, the term rider comes off, that differential, the, the, mm -hmm. the great reduction in the death benefit causes a mech on its own. Boom. Oh, wait a minute. And then you have a bunch of outstanding loans too. Wait. Oh my gosh. Let's... Look, um, words are so revealing. You could tell like where this is coming from. Yeah, yeah. So let's say, and, and I don't want to make it worse than it is, right? I don't want to create a situation where, you know, just to support my narrative, but there's all kinds of examples out there in the big wide world of how you've got a million, two million, three million, five million dollars in outstanding loans into the future. Yeah. And then the term rider comes off and then it's a mech. All of those outstanding loans are taxable above the basis. Right, and they're compounded. It's not just a simple straight line basis calculation when it comes to MEC. And I can point to them. There are many of them if the individuals would have lived as long as Nelson did, 88 years, they'd be paying 500, 800, 900, a million two in taxes that year in the future. So, and the money's already been spent. Done. Yikes. Yeah, your business didn't sell. That, and right? that's what it is. Interest it's, rates go up. Dividends go down. You continue along this short-term thinking that, you know, I'm afraid to put money in. Why would I even put money in? I mean. <laughs> it's the, it, all of those scenarios where we're illustrating an ongoing loan balance, compounding into the future, it's always – contingent upon this magical windfall in the future <laughs> this thing is going to come around and yeah. wipe out the whole <laughs> you're selling a bunch of corporate <laughs> office space in 2022 yeah <laughs> right or wait you're renting how about you're renting a bunch or you're selling your corporate office space that you had been renting yeah or how about in my little town listen poor guys my heart goes out to him build a million, $2 million car wash on the swankiest section of real estate in town. Big crossroads. Piles in a bunch, beautiful play, I, I love it. Beautiful car wash, beautiful service, beautiful people. And then right there, still on the swankiest corner, I say swanky, I mean it's a, the highest value corner, retail corner in the little town that I live in. Mm -hmm. They build another car wash. <laughs> 
Now, one of them is going to sell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that uh, never problem till there's a problem. If you buy into this thinking, you know, if you're violating all of Nelson's fundamental rules and the fifth one that he added was rethink your thinking, the fourth one was don't do business with banks outside of savings and checkings, right? Yeah. Don't be dependent upon the third-party lender. If you don't change your thinking, if you go off into this because you're afraid an agent's going to make a commission because uh, you don't want to pay a premium, whatever your fears are, if you're making decisions based on fears, right? Yeah. Out of balance, uh you know, instincts. I'm just saying it's not going to bode well for you. Yeah. I want to connect this to something we did recently. So there's a episode, I forget the number, but it's the title is inflation fears or inflated fears. Mm -hmm. Great title. I wonder who came up with it, <clears throat> but <laughs> I want to connect that here because he throws uh, out great. He, he comes up with a lot of the good titles. No question. Yeah, thank uh, you. The good ones make it through the ones not so good. Don't make it through. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so there's this, you know, the, the idea is, Savings is bad, like just conventional savings, building up, putting money in under your mattress or in the bank account because inflation is going to destroy the value. Okay, we know that. So savings bad. And so there's this idea that someone might be all in on IBC. They understand how it works. They, 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 just like Nelson said, it's better caught than taught. Someone catches it. They implement. They pay a high premium relative to their financial situation. They're building a lot of cash value. And then six months later, I get a call. You know what's the best way to, for me to be using this cash value? I mean, what, what should I be doing with it? Hmm. It's the idea that you have, like, you build up this cash value. You have to go turn around and collateralize it and go do something else. Like that's going to make it bigger, better, right. faster. Right. Yeah. So point number one: loans don't improve policy growth. Right. That, what? Yep. Yeah, separate transaction. There's no magic in loans. Listen, we're going to have to highlight this in the in the in the in the show notes and put. I mean, highlight that because I get that to this day. Yeah. And and so so here it is right so we we've uh, we've taken the conventional uh, dislike even disgust with the just idea of building up a bunch of cash you know saving a whole bunch of money you know it's it's like and you turn on CNBC and you know all, all the all these businesses with all this cash you know they're it's like they're idiots or something of course you have Warren Buffett sitting on tens of billions of dollars and I mean is he an idiot too I don't know but oh, he's very well connected right also owns a lot of uh, insurance but companies the, so the oh, idea they practice banking on a big corporate level a, like, the, yeah. like the Rothschilds yeah what oh yeah so hold on okay. so the idea is it's bad to build up a whole bunch of savings we migrate that attitude into the IBC world where I pay a lot of premium, build a lot of cash flow. You know, I got to go use it. Well, on this prior, on that prior episode where we talked about the idea of inflation, right? So the, the idea with building up a bunch of savings that that's supposed to be bad because as the money supply increases, the value of the currency will go down. You got to get and, rid of it quick. And the, yeah, you got to spend it fast, right? Yeah. Okay. And so that's supposed to be what's wrong with this idea of just building up a bunch of savings. Well, Go watch that last episode and you'll see that life insurance built for the infinite banking concept is naturally inflation hedged. What? Right? The, there, there isn't the idea that the value of the currency is depreciating elsewhere in the market does not affect what's going on in a given IBC style whole life policy. Your dollars into a dividend paying whole life contract appreciate. They buy more and more cash value every year. Not because I'm special or we're special or anything, just because of the we way are. contracts are built. I mean, we're also special, but you know, so there's that, that element of 
inflation concern or diminishing purchasing power concern that may apply in a context where your savings is done just in cash, either in the bank or under the mattress right. or what have you. Right, right. That doesn't apply here. So I want to like assuage or mitigate that fear that people have or that rest. It's a restlessness. It's like, I got to build cash value and I got to go do something with it. Like, what am I going to do right now? You know, uh, that's where we live in, man. And look at it. I don't know what to do with my health. I don't know what to do with my money. I don't know what to do. Well, in my, in my, pers- per, my thing with people is especially in today's times, yes. it's extra okay to have a whole lot of capital just sitting, waiting, ready in the wings in a in a great spot where it's going to grow on a guaranteed basis with oh compounding. Gosh, then you're going to learn. You will learn. You will experience to the person. And and we've talked about it many times. Nelson comes from Nelson. Capital attracts opportunity. All of all of the schools of thought, the the monetary schools of thought. Washington, especially Wall Street, say and they act like, oh, wait, we're going to create this opportunity, i.e. This, this god-awful financial product that we created and juiced it up, makes it look really good and very sellable, and we've got all the illustrations and examples <laughs> of how great this opportunity is, and then we'll put it out to the market, and it will attract capital. Yeah. It's bass-ackwards. Yes. Right? And I'm just telling you, I learned it from Nelson. I heard it, didn't see it. But the more capital you have, the more opportunities show up. And I'm telling you, it will improve your ability to recognize an opportunity, which then makes it very easy to spot the noise and to walk away from the noise, this FOMO, fear of missing out. You're Mm -hmm. not going to miss out anything if you properly structure a policy. And then... James, and there's some of these comments, you know, you hear, what is properly structured? It is not a 90-10 policy. <laughs> it is not an 85-15 policy. It is not starting from a percentage to the base and to the PUA. That is not a proper structure. Once you have a proper structure based on your abilities, your experience, where you're at, where you want to go, then you can determine what the ratios are. No kidding. It's not, we're not still not getting above third grade math to figure out a ratio. That is not where you start. I'm just saying. Um, and thanks for letting me share that. Yeah. I'm telling you, you will miss nothing. You will gain much more in the long run. These well-built policies will serve you well over your whole lifetime. And I know if you're 20 or 25, you can't see yourself at 60 or 55. I get it. And if you're 40, you can't see yourself at 80. I get it. If you're 60, you can't see yourself at 90. Okay. Well, just back that up 20 years, sir. You 50-year-old man walking around, you're like, when you were 20, you didn't think you were going to make it to 50. So... (laughs) Okay, so quit it. It's yeah. okay to have some discipline and create additional cash flow. If you happen to find extra money, share with us all, please, where you found it. <laughs> you yeah. know, I just, it always occurs to me in going through 
we have we have had this experience with this agent recently who was trying to fight me tooth and nail on explaining <laughs> explaining what he listens to every episode. Is. Uh, that's you know I don't I I am over it. You know I've what, explained listening to the episode. That's no, fine. Kidding. Go yeah. ahead. I've I've explained my position. So but in all this back and, and, and forth, and a very good job you did, which no. I I felt that that your explanation needed no commentary whatsoever. No. It didn't need approval from me or anyone else. I mean it stands on its own. Well, I appreciate that. But in in going back to the book and going through with a fine tooth comb and spelling things out precisely for people who don't take a charitable look at this you do that and then you back up and it's like the the lessons in becoming your i'm pointing to becoming your own banker the lessons in this book and in building your warehouse of wealth nelson's second book are so subtle that but if you really see what's going on and then you back up it's like wow I mean, it's really elegant what he was able to put together. And in, in this context, I'm talking about those particular illustrations, but to your point that you just mentioned, the idea of capital attracting opportunity, which I really went hard on in my 2019 talk on why Nelson is an heir to Manger, which is on YouTube. Uh, he, had, he, has <laughs> these little, he has these little <laughs> subtle anecdotes about, you know, a pilot friend wanted him to finance a plane or another friend had, you know, needed cash and had this hundred acres of timberland that he needed to do something with. Found themselves suddenly yeah. short of cash. And he tells these little stories that they're like, wow. And it, it, but one element here that is not made explicit is that those people came to him. He didn't go and, you know, buy a booth at his local fair and say, hey, I'm the new local VC investor. He didn't <laughs> uh, you know, take up an ad in the newspaper. Yeah. He had people in his community, pilots, for instance. Well, he was sitting right next him. to the pilot for hours on end. Yeah. Right? But, but it, who would have thought? Yeah, know? but don't, don't think for a minute that they didn't have lots of uh, conversations about life insurance. And obviously, that guy didn't think he needed to be putting his money in there. But then all of a sudden, he had an urgent need for capital. Not only once, but twice. <laughs> and then how about the attorney that, you know, Nelson tried to encourage him to wrap his mind around the ability to become your own banker. And the guy was like, no way. But then he turned around and financed the airplane. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, so often you, you said one that I marked it. You said fear of missing out, that FOMO thing. So it's like I suffer from it. I can like recognize it. Out. I got to go and do something. to. But if you take the opposite perspective where it's like, you know, oh, you. I don't want to butcher the line, but you said it before. It's like um, it ends somehow, and be worthy to be called. Mm -hmm. You know, if go you just, only where called, mm -hmm. but be worthy to be called. That was uh, Leonard E. Reed. And if you just did that, if you worked on being worthy, and part of it in the economic context is accumulating sufficient capital to go do whatever it is you might need to do. Oh my gosh. If you just did that. Yeah. You know, the opportunities would come. Listen, I no question. I, that reminds me of uh you know a lot of people call, right? They they could be, you know, insurance professionals, accountants. I mean, uh and everyday all American. I'm I'm not I'm just saying that a lot of people call, right? And we engage, we have a lot of clients across you know, every spectrum in in North America. Um the uh, I forgot where I was going with that. <clears throat> There's okay. I've got something for you. Okay. So you know the 
Nelson, you say that'll happen. That's okay. <laughs> so we we go from what do I? We, what's the best use for cash value? Okay, yeah. we'll assume we get through that. Right, we've accepted the capital attracts opportunity point. Well, the next thing, which this individual we're talking about makes me think of. I'm well, not what, talking about anybody. In what, what's the best way to repay a policy loan? Oh yeah. yeah. You know, and so it go, it goes from what's the best way to use the capital, and now okay, well, what's the optimal way to repay the policy loan? I don't know, quickly. <laughs> you, know? you know, that 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 really speaks to what kind of, you know, ties into uh ties into everything. Like it's almost like nothing stands on its own. That uh um the structure of a policy, you know, the expansion of a policy is not, you know, buy a new policy every four years because Nelson demonstrated in illustration number one of equipment financing he capitalized for four years or seven years and all of the or twenty years, twenty two years for the uh cost of an education. I mean, every one of those are different, different situations, and they're different ratios too, right? But the idea that that 60-40 is the only way to do it, that's how Nelson did it in equipment financing. uh, And there's a reason why he did it that way. But then it's like, okay, we'll capitalize the policy every four years, every four years, every four years, and that's the right way. No, it's like, that is, uh, and make sure that you know you're continually going through the underwriting process, and then you're always continually in the the highest cost of a policy is in the early capitalization phase of the policy. I'm not saying those policies don't do well out into the future. Um, you're going to eat up your insurability unbelievably fast, mm-hmm. um, and but the agent gets paid right over and over, and he can point to. Equipment financing and say, "Oh, that's how Nelson did it." No, that's not how Nelson did it. Um, and my point here is, a natural expansion occurs when you, mm. as you are becoming your own banker. I have clients all the time. The same thing, James. How can we best use this? We're thinking of this or that, and you work through that, mm-hmm. right? Um, how do I expand? There's a natural expansion. None of this has to be forced. Mm-hmm. Right, just like the opportunities are attracted to capital, mm. that when you have the correct foundation, a natural expansion occurs. It becomes apparent to you it's time to buy another policy, or I missed this over here. How did I miss that? And mm-hmm. let me address that. <clears throat> Finance it or purchase another policy or whatever it may be. It's natural. It is natural. It does not have to be forced. Can you prime the pump and force it? Sure you can. No question. I mean, I have personally bought policies for future places to put income. Mm. You know, because when I originally started, and I said it many times, it's got to be on video. I know it's on multiple videos. You know, I look at what I did originally. And it was like, oh, my gosh, that was a, a complete uh, lack of faith evidence of a complete lack of faith because I was thinking too small, Mm -hmm. you know, um, afraid to capitalize. I wasn't, well, I was thinking long range, I think. I was trying to think long range, but I was afraid to capitalize. I came from this poor poverty mindset. You know, poor people have poor ways. You don't have to remain poor. Mm -hmm. You do not have to remain poor, right? You can do something about that. But my point is this, that... um, it's natural to expand, right? It's natural to see when and how you should repay loans. And if you are not 
uh, where if it, if it's James, it's not natural. I'm still uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. Remember, number one, think long range. Number two, don't be afraid to capitalize. Pay a premium. And then we often get into, and then number three, right, is be an honest banker. So if you've designed a policy with X number of premiums for, you know, X duration, five years, 10 years, whatever that is, and then you get a windfall, no, no, you should buy. That's a natural occurrence that requires expansion, right? It's not, it's easy to say, oh, well, there's all my future premiums on this policy. No, 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 no. All right. Um, so if you don't know what to do, if you're unsure, and if your agent doesn't know what to do, um, help them get get the becoming your own banker book in front of them i'm talking about already agent i'm not talking about going to educate your quote unquote property and casualty agent <laughs> to practice infinite banking i'm just saying if you're already practicing banking and and the guy's giving you advice that doesn't line up with nelson's book i don't care how many times they use nelson's name in and i or reference to becoming your own banker book if we had the conversation before we turned this on. If an if an NNI practitioner, I don't want to say that. If you're going to promote yourself as an infinite banking practitioner, um, you should be able to explain clearly and correctly what's going on in those illustrations. That really comes from you trying to set a not trying uh, throwing out the idea of setting a minimum bar yeah of 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 competency which is okay um people want that people in the business want that. people in the consumers want that the you said a few things there that i wanted to comment on first is you know people the agents who do the short-term thinking and the contorted policy designs and they might say oh you know nelson paid a showed an individual paying a higher premium for four years and then he stopped and this is becoming your own banker unlock the infinite banking concept it is not becoming your own banker here's how you implement this right now in 2021 or whatever year you happen to be living in that is not what this is this was to it's it says it on the page unlock the infinite banking con he's teaching a concept he's showing what can be done that he doesn't expect you believe it or not to move to north carolina and get in the logging business what you know this is not like here's your financial plan this is his it's his story it's his family story it's what he discovered that can be done if you add scale with proper design and a contract it that's what it is right when you when you go to apply this in your own life it's there there will be differences right this is so the, the people who what makes me think of it is I had mentioned that, you know, the, the best way to repay a policy loan and Nelson's cash, <laughs> you know, in equipment, this might be news to some people in equipment financing, the interest on those policy loans. And by the way, there are policy loans and equipment financing, the interest on those loans, Nelson assumes that interest gets paid from the dividend. Okay. So the dividend that would normally, if it's paid again, they're non-guaranteed, but if it's paid, that dividend would normally go back to the contract in the form of its own PUA premium where it buys more death benefit and contributes to cash value growth. Well, in equipment financing, Nelson is saying, let's, let's shave off some of that dividend and use it to pay the interest. 
And he did it for the purposes of illustration, to be able to show, to make the numbers work on the page so that he can help you, the reader, understand what he's trying to do. Okay, that does not mean, and he even says it so, that does not mean that you should, anytime you get a policy loan, have the company pay the interest on the loan it, with, the, with the dividend. It does not mean that there's some special way to repay a policy loan. You know, and I, Jason Lowe points this out. I appreciate that. Shout out to Jason. You know, it's becoming your own Banker, you know, everybody has their d degree of comfort with how much of their cash value they want collateralized, with how often they want to pay uh, principal repayments to a policy loan, with whether they want to pay the interest on the loan each year. You have the authority. I think what happens is people who, and this is this conversation is helping me come to terms with this. Perfect. I think what happens is some people have had such grueling, unpleasant, antagonistic relationships with other professionals in the financial world, be they bankers or advisors or whomever, that it's got to be, you know, give an inch, take a mile. You know, it's got to be challenge on this point, challenge on this point, challenge on this point. And if I can find a chink in the armor, if I can find where Nelson says, well, if I were advising a client, I wouldn't say this in particular. Leave out one word. Then I can stand on a soapbox somewhere and be like, well, what's the right way to do it? <laughs> Wait a minute, man. I was starting to identify with that, you know, uh a grueling interaction with other financial professionals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm identified. I identify with it a lot. But I'm not trying to find a chink in the armor, but you know, so it's just a you know, good point. In the, in the authority, don't jump over that word because it's not the first time you've mentioned that. You that's part of your vocabulary. Speaking of the infinite banking concept, you, you, your authority. Let that sink in. What kind of a I mean, just let that sink in across a, all of your financial endeavors. I'm telling you. And then, and I appreciate Jason Lowe becoming your own banker. My favorite word on that whole cover is becoming. Mm. Mm. You know, I mean, the powerful, yes, yeah. you, your own, no question, but it's becoming. It is a process. You know, <clears throat> just like you said earlier, you know, Nelson didn't say, oh, this is how you do it in 2021 because the CSO tables have changed and interest rates are gone to the floor and dividend scales are dropped to nothing and the stock market's going 100 miles an hour. You know, it's like, we can we can we embrace critical thinking? <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm not, I'm not being facetious. I'm just saying, it's like in America and really around the world, my opinion, we have forgot how to be free. Yes. Can I just do some critical thinking unbiased without trying to prove my own point or my own belief system or without trying to challenge everything that I possibly believe either? Yeah. Can I just learn the message that the author is trying to convey? Right. And if it resonates with me and it makes sense, perfect. If not, Perfect. This idea of having to defend or prove Nelson's work, I zoomed past that. My patience, I'm too old and I'm very young, right? So 50 is <laughs> the new 30. I still work out. I'm just saying, it's very old. You know, I would rather pet my wife's dogs. In <laughs> his work is, it's a beautiful piece of work. And I remember, I think I've shared it. I know I have with you. Um, years ago, I'm at a at a at a some kind of an annual conference, you know, in the life insurance industry, and this uh, <clears throat> young lady who had a master's, fresh, mm. holds up a book, says, "I can't believe 
I was insulted when I first read that book of how simply it was written. And I was already looking for the exit, which is exactly why I don't hang out with financial professionals. You know, yeah. and then she's going to critique it because right, she has a master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you brought up a, that there's different, you said it just quickly, that there's different ratios in becoming your own banker. I point this out to clients when we're starting to think about yeah. structure and all this. And, yeah. you know, the, there's the 40 grand in total premium, part four equipment financing, 15,000 or 37 and a half percent is going to the base. 62 and a half, 25,000 is going to PUA. Flip over, look at part five, even distribution of age classes, 2,000 in total premium, 600 or 30% is going to the base, 1,400 or 70% is going to the PUA. Does that mean that's how we have to do every one of them? <laughs> well, just two different structures. How about that? Yeah. Not even in, in Nelson's own book, you got different structures throughout yeah. the different illustrations. Well, let me ask you this, uh, financial guru. Listen, I love you guys, you people, you ladies. I'm not picking on you. I'm, I'm really uh, poignantly trying to encourage you without all the greased up love because it is love, peace, and chicken grease. You know, I got nothing but love, but it's like if you're, if you're going to give advice, if you're going to get paid to deal with people's money, then by God, you should be competent, my opinion. <clears throat> you okay. know how, like, I would, how uh, vulnerable I would have felt four years ago if I was getting started in the business and I couldn't explain what's going on in one of these illustrations. Like, I, I wouldn't even want to have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Well, and I, I, would be do, I would be like, like, I'd be like, what am I, my first reaction would be, what am I missing? Mm -hmm. What am I missing? You know, you're, you're, I mean, you're PhD economist, you know, student. Uh, I heard Nelson so many times. I got it. And I love math. I love math. I love numbers. I love people. I love concepts. I love patterns, you know, and all that. But I heard Nelson so many times. I could not have replicated because I didn't know how Guardian worked. Mm. I didn't know the mechanics of life insurance like I do now. I didn't know then. So I couldn't have explained it. And there were many, many conversations, very contentious conversations and debates within the smaller infinite banking community back then about equipment financing. But it it was not really uh, heavily always on whether there's a loan or withdrawal. There was a lot of contention around the cost basis and, I mean, all over <clears throat> and, and – uh, so, speaking to your point, I wasn't confident when I first started in the math, mm. you know. Um, I had to learn how the mechanics of a life insurance policy worked. But listening to Nelson conceptually, conceptually, and him going through the math, he, he his 10-hour seminar at the time, he went right through the book. Yeah. That's exactly what he did. But then, you know, he had his side notes and anecdotes and, and – um, additional commentary mm -hmm. that was different in every seminar. And I'm sorry that you will not be able to hear all yeah. that. Okay. Um, but it was because of that, that I could do what I did, even though it was still too low and there's a lack of faith. And that's why I tell my clients all the time regularly. I'm like, you have more faith than I, I mean, you're, I'm much more proud of you than I am of me mm -hmm. when I started. Cause I couldn't just read a book or two and then go do that. You know, I listened to Nelson over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, and and two, when it gets to the point where, you know, you, you've got to 
continue. I mean, it's somewhat personal, you know, whenever you people attack Nelson or his work, it becomes personal. It can. Um, I don't feel like I have to defend it and all that, but I say regularly the sixth illustration was added in equipment financing because Nelson was tired of hearing the pushback from the financial gurus. Just think of what that man went through. There's so much out there in the Internet now, and a lot of it you should jump right over, my opinion. But it's okay even to hear the noise if you can identify the noise, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But it's the same thing, you know. Does that mean you, I, a practitioner, needs to go recreate every illustration that Nelson did because the CSO tables have changed twice, dividend scales? Mm-hmm. You know, what's that going to prove? You know, it's going to prove some numbers. Mathematically, he's going to create numbers on a page. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, right now, you're banking. You're financing everything you purchase. How are you doing it? Who's profiting? And how much of that do you want? You know, and if I continue, so I'll take a break. I'll if if you want to add it to anything, no, go for keep it. going. Okay, perfect. So by converting, going back to Peter, and Peter, thanks for the comments. You know, because it does, I think, put it out for debate. And don't take it too personal, but you know, I'm being hard on you. It's really not um, personal. People really, it's nothing. None of this is personal. People, and I don't like, I don't like in the world of ideas or in the world of of, of a profession you know for business people in a business context why things have to be taken I understand some things are personal and I, I know well, I don't know so Gary North is pretty dang personal so when he much talks about life is, insurance agents yeah but it, it it often gets personal and that's yeah. why I don't say name like full name you know first names whatever but it's still anonymous um, it's really not personal now, if anybody's taking it that way, I'd encourage you not to. It, it, it's about the integrity of the ideas in that book is really what it's all about. He goes on to say that, that by converting some term, you know, it makes the policies, um, efficiencies, potentially, you know, upgraded as well. As a matter of fact, look, you build a policy, period. I don't care how it's built. If you build a life insurance policy, it's going to become more efficient over time by the mere existence. Okay, can you accelerate the cash values in the early years by using the PUA? Yes, you can. And I've had many agents, you know, ask me personally phone calls and emails when I've said the power in a premium is in the PUA in the early years. That's where all the the majority of the cash value comes from in the first two years. The power of a premium in the future is in the base. You do not want to squeeze the base down. You want a big base. And then the idea of a death benefit being bad, it is not. The cash value must equal the face amount, i.e. the death benefit at age 120. So my question here is, do you want a small death benefit or a large death benefit? Just very simply. And then know this, that if you have future outstanding loans, those loans are collateralized by the death benefit. So if you have loans that are going up and you're forcing your death benefit to go down, you're just creating a train wreck, whether you can see it now in an illustration or not. You've created a train wreck in the future, and the agent that puts you in that position is probably not going to be on the other side of the phone whenever that happens. Yeah, you know. So, um, 
And if I go on here, this reduces a mask risk. And then, quote, unquote, a good company will help you avoid this anyway. Avoid a mask. Listen, if you send a life, every life insurance company in the world, is, well, North America, knows what a mech is, a modified endowment contract. It changes the tax treatment of life insurance. Every life insurer knows this. Right. Right. So if you send premium or anything happens within that policy to cause a mech, the death benefit goes down. You're going to get a mech letter. You sent them a premium that causes a policy to mech. You are going to receive a mech letter. And you have a specific amount of time to correct that. So the idea that a good company will help you avoid this anyway. No, a good company, they're all good companies. They're just going to notify you. How is a company going to help you avoid a mech? They're going to say, if you build a policy and it's a mech from the beginning, there's going to be a disclaimer on there, on the illustration that this policy has illustrated is a mech. And then most of the companies, even at delivery, there's a mech disclaimer, disclosure that you have to sign. So how is a good company going to avoid help you avoid a mech? They're not. A good company is not going to help you create a, a, a an optimum loan repayment either. A good company is not going to help you... Uh, you know, structure a policy. You know, a good company is just going to be a good company, i.e., they're not going to have 20 private or uh, vice presidents with $20 million salaries. <laughs> Peter, that's your company, sir. Okay, I'm just saying, uh, look, uh, oh, wait, you can only pay the PUA premium on the anniversary? How flexible is that? <laughs> right? And, uh, okay, can you practice the infinite banking concept with any life insurance policy? Any. Right. Sure. Preferential. The preferred policy is a mutual policy issued by a mutual company that participates, pays a dividend. Um, so my point here is that reach out, engage with an advisor or an agent who knows, who has read Nelson's book, who can explain what's going on in Nelson, who understands what Nelson is was doing and what he did. And then and then Peter, I don't know that if you're not, I don't know, I don't think you are a practitioner. Maybe you're going through the process to become a practitioner at the Nelson Nash Institute. Um, if I go and look today, you're not a practitioner. So maybe if you want to... Um, what is this? Uh, a good company will help you avoid this anyway and transition into banking the way Nelson intended faster. Well, if you're going to speak for Nelson, maybe you should engage with the Nelson Nash Institute. I don't know. I'm just encouraging. <laughs> that was good. But thank you for the kind words and the opportunity. And it's nothing but love. Okay. And we don't always jump on commenters. <laughs> This is a, listen, don't yeah, don't be afraid to comment. Although, look, I did talk to a client earlier today, oh, or not yeah. earlier today, earlier this week, and he's like, I don't want to hear this on a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, listen, listen, this was a comment. Yeah, and look, don't be afraid. We don't give away. We're not doxing anybody. We don't no. release any kind of private information. It's a lot of it is in good fun. Listen, you can't do this for what is it over two years now and not have any fun along the way. So and look, this conversation, I'll guarantee you, will cause people to like hear something in our conversation, Peter, that wouldn't have happened necessarily if right. you haven't commented. Yeah. All right, so um, it truly is a good thing, in my opinion, and yeah. whether. 
however, I don't I don't know what people hear. I don't listen to these episodes. I mean, it's very difficult for me to listen to myself, but I know from the feedback that people hear all kinds of things in different so 10 people can listen to an episode and have eight mm-hmm. different takeaways. Yeah. And I think that's the coolest thing ever. No, it's great. It so, really is. You know, thanks, Peter. All right. Well, let me say this, too. Look, um, you know, we're migrating or we're adding content over to BitChute. Um, and there's some issues with video and audio. So they're mainly audio on BitChute. So check us out. You know, go to BitChute. Um, and I also want to say that we're adding client only content quarterly, you know, to uh, my website. And we've talked about this for a couple of years. Um, we're doing it. It's getting done. And then uh, the amount of free content, quote unquote, quote unquote, quote unquote, free content, content that is out there and available on the Internet. There's a lot of really good content out there. Right. I'm telling you. That if you'll spend time, shameless promotion, whatever, on this channel, you will learn an awful lot. Don't expect to get everything you need out of a 10-minute or 15-minute snippet. Mm-hmm. You know, um, And then the work that Ryan's done on Medium, I don't know the address. Tell us the address. So Medium is a, just like you know, Medium is a blogging platform, and I have... I've written a lot. There's probably over 200,000 words there on the infinite banking concept. So if you want to read stuff, you can go there too. Medium.com forward slash at Ryan D. Griggs. But it's on my website. Do you charge for that? I pretty much don't charge people for anything. Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Um, And then you mentioned how to read a book by Mortimer Adler. I love that. So... That's all I want to throw out. Bit shoot, client only access. Not to, not for it to be a carrot, but that's all we do all day long, every day. You know, sun up, sun down is uh, the infinite banking concept in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. And part of that is creating content. And I'm sure the individual about whom we've referenced here in the last half, if he watched it, I'm sure he'll have something to say. But um, he's a good guy. I mean, he's he is. Just he's, like, yeah, he's nice. I've had I've been enjoyed talking to him but there comes a time when um you're either trying to understand what nelson wrote or trying to prove what you think he should have wrote and i'm interested in the former and not the latter it's like the earlier comment we brought up a comment on some form and um an individual who's uh, says he's practiced infinite banking a long time been around infinite banking a long time um and doesn't Mm. know what's going on in that book. So it's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. Nelson spells out very clearly, I mean, with example in in the verbiage and the content and the text and in the life insurance illustrations. I mean, he tells you what he did, then he demonstrates it. Actually, conceptually, uh, <laughs> Emotionally, emotionally, and passionately. I mean, what else is there? Do we really need another commentary on this book? That's a fair question. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for listening, man. I had fun. Did you have fun? I did. All right. Are you okay now? I'm good. You hungry? I'm better. I'm starving. Barbecue? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye, y'all.
Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.